Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Next up is an interview with Travis Retke, who's the executive producer of BR Football. Now, several weeks ago, I went ahead and requested an interview with uh, with Travis to better understand the vision that uh, Turner and, and Bleach Report has for the Champions League and to better understand uh, their vision for the way uh, that soccer has been presented to the viewers. Now, as you know, and as I know, the coverage is very different. The pre-match coverage, everything from the studio to the way it's presented, uh, the, the format of it, the flow of it, is quite different. And I wanted to understand why. Why are they changing things? Why are they not going through kind of the traditional model? And I think this interview goes a long way to actually accomplish that, to understand from them uh, firsthand what the changes are and why they're doing it this way. Now, Travis's uh, responsibilities are in charge of content strategy and overseeing the production uh, at BR Football. And here's that interview with Travis Retke from BR Football. All right, Travis, so let's start off in the beginning. Uh, talk to us about your passion for soccer and your experience as a producer. Uh, so, first off, uh, thanks a lot for having me on. Um, my passion for soccer. So I'd say that I, I got into soccer originally in the late 90s uh, following Arsenal. I think that a lot of Americans or Arsenal fans in general probably were, were very turned on by the team and the sport at that point. Uh, it coincided with the time where um, being in the U.S., you had opportunities to see a decent amount of Arsenal games as they were one of the most entertaining teams in the world. Um, have since for the last 20 years kind of been been watching a lot of soccer any way that I can across the various platforms and channels that it's been available to U.S. soccer fans in the States. So I'm, I'm well aware of the, uh, the the different experiences that people have had with viewing the game and the different ways in which we've, we've accessed the game over the last uh, 20 years, but also uh, aware of the fact that, that we do actually have a lot more soccer content for, for people to consume um, than a lot of other places in the world, which lends well to people who like to watch a lot of it. Um, but it's also been distributed across a, you know, a disparate amount of platforms and broadcasters over the over the last 20 years. Um, so I've just spent a lot of my my free time watching the game. I'm an Arsenal fan, but I've, I've spent a lot of time watching a lot of Premier League teams, Bundesliga teams, uh, La Liga. Uh, basically, just watching as much soccer as I can over the last, particularly 10 plus years, um, and. 
how did I get into my role at Bleacher Report? Um, I actually, I started working at Bleacher Report about 10 years ago when it was a small company of about 12 people. Uh, and our main focus was on the NFL, college football, uh, and really giving people the opportunity to to learn about and write about and consume content on some of their favorite teams that they weren't necessarily covering or seeing enough coverage of. And I was uh, doing business development for us at the time, um, actually our kind of in-house soccer evangelist, but it wasn't necessarily the right time or place for the company or uh, the sport in the States to really focus on soccer as a content strategy for the company. Um, so I worked for Bleach Report for a couple of years, uh, had, had left about eight years ago now, and had constantly stayed in the ear of the, the BR team on if any opportunities had, a, had a, arose over the, over the last few years, if there was any opportunity to get back involved with the BR team and, um, and any soccer coverage that I would love to, to do so. Um, so while I was gone, obviously the, the company grew significantly, was acquired by Turner and had a lot of success, no thanks to anything that I did. Um, and BR football grew to being one of the biggest emerging brands in the soccer space. And about two years ago, uh, Turner started having conversations about, uh, or I guess it's a year and a half ago now, about acquiring the rights for the Champions League. And I started having conversations again with the content team here uh, about putting together coverage plans for how we could potentially go about um, covering the Champions League uh, and the Europa League in the States. Uh, started off with casual conversations about things that we were observing and I was observing and the way that the sport was being presented, uh, how we could cover it. Uh, in a differentiated way and how we could help grow the sport, especially amongst BR's audience. Uh, that went from casual conversations to uh, more formal conversations and, and led to me uh, getting the opportunity to work with the team here uh, and help manage our uh, our content um, strategy around our Champions League and Europa League coverage, both across linear uh, on TNT uh, and across digital on BR Live, uh, BR and BR football across our social channels, and I think I think I think that's something too that uh, definitely with you coming from the Bleacher Report, kind of the, the the digital side of things versus say traditional say I don't know Fox Sports or going through kind of the the TV side, um, the coverage is definitely different, and, and that's one of the reasons the main reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast is to talk about that to talk about TNT or Bleacher Report's vision for the Champions League and, and to, to better understand the vision for the way it's been presented. What are your thoughts about kind of just the way that soccer has been presented currently, just uh, historical, historically? And in what ways are you thinking about uh, TNT and, and Bleacher Report having a different uh, perspective on, on how it could or should be covered? Yeah, so that actually, I mean, it definitely shapes the way that we look at our coverage and, and BR and, and our philosophy definitely influences the decisions that we've made from the programming and content side of things. But also it was, it was looking at it from the point of view of a fan as well. So traditionally soccer, the way that it's been covered in the States is it's a very linear driven appointment based viewing concept. I think I mean, 10 plus years ago, we used to be able to, to not have to, or not be able to watch champions league during the day and, and DVR games and watch them at night. I used to do that quite a bit with friends, having friends over to do that. We could get away with being able to, to not see the scores and, and kind of suspend uh, you know, the reality until eight hours later when you watch the game. But for the most part, you if you are a soccer fan and, and you're in the States, I'm, I'm out based on the West Coast, you, you have to watch the games at a time that isn't the most convenient for a sports fan. So 
especially with the Champions League, you're watching it in the middle of the day, whether you're at school or at work on a second screen, um, whether you're ignoring work or ignoring school with their, or you're going out to the bar um, to, to watch the game with fellow fans for a couple hours. Um, and on weekends, you're watching it early in the mornings or mid-morning uh, before your day starts. But that doesn't necessarily lend well to growing the game uh, amongst the casual audience or even getting people who are somewhat interested in the sport more interested in the sport. Um, and traditionally, there hasn't been a lot of distribution of what we call shoulder programming, which is the, the content to get people excited about games, the content to analyze what happens in the games, the content to tell stories about players and teams and clubs that isn't programmed um, beyond just the TV show. So if you wanted to learn more about the game, you either had to identify certain personalities or certain publications or broadcasters to follow, or you'd have to be proactive in identifying times uh, or like making time in the middle of your day or morning to watch a game. So what we're really looking to do, uh, combining the presence and the reach that we have with TNT with the same that we have with Bleacher Report and uh, BR Football is really delivered 24-7 coverage of soccer, uh, the teams, the players that you care about, and tell stories about those teams, players, and clubs while also giving you everything you want to see from highlights uh, and the analytical side of things and covering the, 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 the teams and players that you care about. So the way that we think about our studio show is – because the game, the studio show is running on at, at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we realize that some people are going to sit down and watch that, but there is a way for us to reach a significantly larger audience and a, and a more casual fan base by creating content segments and highlighting certain aspects of the game that work just as well for a soccer fan or a sports fan to connect with and watch that content on our social platforms, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Snapchat, whether it's on uh, BR Live, where we're streaming the games, we think about a strategy of the content that we're creating um, and and think about where we can best program that across all of our platforms or how we can do that. Now, w- watching the, the BR football coverage, I mean, really everything is different when you think about it. Uh, I mean, we have a, I mean, BR football, you have an hour uh, or close to an hour, as opposed to say forty-five minutes with Fox last season, with the with the old schedule where we had games at uh, two forty-five Eastern. Uh, the studios. Yeah, I think we benefited greatly from that that ten-minute time change. It helped us out a lot in terms of being able to put some stuff in there. Yeah. And also, the the two game win the two game window, I think, is great for a fan experience as well. Definitely. So, so the, the the timing is different in terms of having more time to do some pre-match analysis. Uh, the studio is completely different. The, the design of the sets, even down to the clothes the people are wearing, uh, even down to the personalities. Yeah. Uh, just even the way the flow of the programming is different too. And, and I definitely applaud, uh, I mean, TNT and, and Bleach Report for trying different things. What's your thoughts so far on on how well it's it's been done, and, and and is there an opportunity to to raise the bar and make even more kind of fine tuning uh, to make it even better? Yeah, so to to answer that, I think that the the way that we present the show and the way that we want our our talent to dress or the way that we want um, to to put forward the the way that we uh, talk about the sport is for me it's all about comfort and making making the talent comfortable, making sure that the conversation on the set flows well and making sure that people are talking about what they want to talk about. Um, for me, 
what what's most appealing and interesting to what listening to people who know what they're talking about talk about soccer is authenticity like we don't want to force talking points upon people uh, we don't want to force opinions about people we just want to give uh, our talent the opportunity to talk about the game that they love uh, and do so in a way that is insightful uh, and that's interesting to fans and and casual fans of the sport uh, who, who are interested in what they have to say uh, i think with the presentation of the studio like you said it's different for me we want the studio to be understated to put the emphasis on and the interest in the people who are there talking about the, the sport because they're the ones who matter. Obviously, it's important for us to show you, uh, you know, the highlights and the image of the game that are important to people, but it's also interesting. It's also important to give those guys the opportunity um, to be the, the stars of the show who, who bring you their opinions. Um, I think... In terms of the content of the show that we've created, I think we're doing a great job right now of creating content that appeals to people who might not necessarily be diehard fans who are interested in the sport and want to learn more. Uh, I think I'm really proud of and excited about some of the storytelling that we're doing, uh, some of the stuff that we're doing with Fernando on site and really delivering what it's like to be on location and um, and tell you about the culture of some of these cities and these fan bases uh, and kind of transport our audience to... The most of most of us won't have the chance to actually go out and see a game in Europe uh, to give them the opportunity to see kind of how crazy some of these stadiums are, how awesome that experience is, and how passionate some of these fan bases are. Um, I think in terms of something that I'm very sensitive to, given the amount of soccer that I watch and the amount of uh, amount that I care about about good analysis and something that you you guys are definitely sensitive to as well, is I think that we can get better in terms of um, prepping our team and getting uh, getting the guys in a better place to be able to have some more in-depth analysis on some of the games, both in pregame and postgame. Um, I think that that's something that comes with uh, getting people more comfortable with one another. That's both behind, uh, both on, on camera and, and our team just getting more reps and more comfortable. But I think it's also just, uh, you know, creating good topics for, for people and good uh, analysis tapes or situations for guys to have more in-depth conversation about stuff that that people like like us as as soccer fans want to want to hear. Um, I think that it's it's gotten better, and it's something that we're constantly working on. But it's definitely something that that I see us needing to continue to get better week to week. Now, with with everything being so different, uh, the set, uh, the talent, uh, you, you name it, across the board, was that something that was done because that was based on research, or was that was kind of the the, the thinking within BR uh, Bleacher Report, or was that kind of a, a top down kind of directive? Okay, we need to do things differently, or was it is, is it change for change's sake, or was there a kind of a, a blueprint that went went, went along with? Because uh, it is vastly different for for the viewers that are tuning into yeah, these so games. It, it, it's actually there's a lot of a lot of inputs. It's inputs from internal inputs, inputs from conver- or input from conversation that we've had with fans. Um, how we see what kind of content performs well on our social channels, uh, and then just talking with the team at Turner, who, in my opinion, puts out the best sports, uh, the best sports show out there with inside the NBA. And talking to the production team there and seeing you know, the philosophy around how they put shows together and how they manage talent, um, and obviously the guys that they have on that show are have been working together for a long, long time and are, are the best at what they do. So it's, it's not like you know, saying that we're going to do inside the NBA for soccer, uh, but there's definitely a lot of things that we, we learned from them. Um, and our approach and the way that we're going about doing this coverage, I, I view our coverage, uh, and, and not to make a business analogy with it, but what we're doing is it's basically a startup. 
so we have ideas, we have vision, we have a vision for what we want to do, but it's very much in the BR and BR football way of, of creating ideas and content that we think that will work, uh, seeing how people react to it, see how it works out in, in, uh, in play and practice and make adjustments to make sure that we're creating the best content experience for the audience that we want to reach, which is in this case, we want to create something that soccer fans are excited about and feel like they're getting the depth that they want and need from coverage, but also creating something that makes the sport more approachable and interesting to an audience who wouldn't necessarily have spent two hours or in this case, six hours watching soccer on a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. Now, the uh, the other big change, too, is the two studios. Uh, and and in, in regards to the L.A. studio, was that uh, done out of con- convenience for Stu Holden and uh, Steve Nash, or was that part of a strategy thinking in terms of just having something different? So to me and to us uh, at the BR team and, and Turner team, we see L.A. as the cultural epicenter for the sport in America. I think if you look at, uh, footballers' Instagram accounts and social media accounts over the course of the summer, they're all going to L.A. When, uh, in their offseason. I think that when Lukaku signed with, or when Pogba signed with United, um, or it was Lukaku signed with United, sorry, uh, they were on uh, a rooftop in Hollywood or Beverly Hills a couple of years ago, you know, high-fiving each other and being really excited about them playing with one another. Like, you constantly see images of guys in L.A. in the offseason it, to me, it, it's got the cachet and it's got um, just that standing amongst European footballers that that's the place that everybody wants to be. We also, I think you guys saw last week, we brought in Dominic Sue on as a guest. We do see having guests as being a key component of our coverage uh, and not just guests who play FIFA or who have a kit collection who, who like the sport, but people who are evangelists of the game and really excited to come on and talk about why they love the game. Uh, and to us, L.A. is no better, no better place in America to, to be able to get guests and to have people who are influencers uh, and interested in spreading their love of the sport. Uh, there's no better place in America than, than Los Angeles to have them there. Which in some ways is actually pretty controversial, though, too, because I think a lot of people look at uh, the U.S. And, and may not think of L.A. as kind of being the epicenter of, of soccer. Yeah. I mean, you can look at Miami as a place to, you mean, in yeah. terms of, you mean, there's no team there right now, but or, or some other cities or, or New York. But uh, was that, I mean, I mean, also, I mean, I believe you're, you're from California. I think you're, you're producing the show from California. Was that part of the equation, too? No, we're, we're producing the show from uh, Atlanta. Um, and I'm, I'm out in Atlanta one day a week. I'm out in LA one day a week for match weeks. Um, and it's, it, it, to be honest, it had nothing to do with that. It's, there's a, there's a few different factors as to why we did LA, uh, versus Atlanta. Um, my, my Delta travel status, status is not one of them. It's, uh, it's just something we did because Atlanta is obviously our home base for where Turner is based, where we've got all of our production facilities. Um, we've got the studio there, but just felt that. For, for getting guests and for getting the people that we wanted involved, um, Los Angeles made made a lot of sense. Okay, and just a, f- a few follow up que- questions too. This is from from some of our, some of our listeners. Uh, the first is yep. um, why no pre match or post match interviews with the managers? Uh, so that was something I we've talked about. Uh, it's something that we're not saying absolutely no to. Uh, it's for us. It's it's a matter of of just 
we're watching those on the world feeds while we're running our show. And if we find the right content, uh, we will, we will put that on the post-match show or pre-match show. But for us, it's, it's more important to, especially in pregame to set the stage for the game, uh, via analysis and storytelling and using the, what we see as the best content available, um, to drive good insightful conversation around the games. Um, but for, for, Post game, we haven't yet seen an opportunity where it made sense to drop it in. I wouldn't say it's something that we're we're not going to do in the future. Okay, yeah, and you got the Juventus uh, Man United game coming up soon. So, uh, uh, yeah, d- depending on Mourinho's state of mind, it, it could be an interesting uh, time to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, much. Uh, b- believe me, I find I find Klopp and Mourinho post game interviews can be incredibly entertaining, uh, and they do lend to really good sound bites that drive good conversation around things, but. For us, it's it's an editorial call on the fly, and if it works well, we'll drop it in. If it doesn't, we'll um, we'll go with more conversation and analysis around the games. So, so the next question is is and this is one from many many people, but uh, why can't we have some of the games maybe on TBS or True TV? I mean, we're in at a point to I think especially this season more than any others really in the Champions League. There's been so many high profile teams playing at the same time in big big matches, whether it's PSG or with Real Madrid, Liverpool, Man United, Bayern Munich. You could, I mean, we're actually spot for choice. Uh, but TNT is yeah. the, the only TV channel that's actually broadcasting. Any opportunity in the future to, to have, if there is a, kind of an overlap, and have another game on TBS or, or True TV? So the plan right now is for TNT. Uh, I do think that I, I completely understand where people are coming from on that. Uh, I do think that would be our live, the opportunity that we have right now in terms of offering people to watch uh, to watch one-off games or subscribe to the package at a, at a discount to what previous broadcasters had, had offered in the past, I think is a compelling offering. But again, I, I understand where people come from. Um, I do also think that the window, the two-match window that we have in, in each day uh, enables soccer fans to now be able to watch six great hours of soccer coverage if they want to do that, which I think is something that I'm really excited about that hasn't been available in the past. Um, but right now, the, the, the plan is to, to program the games on TNT. Okay. And then the last question I have is in regards to the talent. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about uh, kind of the why the talent was picked. Um, they, they definitely seem to be more personal, seem to be more a little bit different than what we're used to in the past in terms of chemistry and and uh, banter and and how they work together. And uh, which came first? I mean, was it that you were looking for people with those personalities, or was it uh, that it just came naturally? So. The, the people that we went after went after for our talent are, are people that we've been watching and have been fans of for a long time. Uh, I've, I've said this to, to a few people, and I, I firmly believe it. I think Kate Abdo is the best host that's available in sports right now. Um, I think she's she's also a perfect uh, blend for us in terms of somebody who's got a lot of traditional broadcast experience, but it's somebody who is comfortable working in a non-traditional broadcast in the way that we're doing the coverage. Uh, I think she's handled it incredibly well and very excited to work with her. So she was somebody that we had identified from the beginning that we wanted to work with. Um, Stu, I see as, as the voice of us soccer right now. And he is, and obviously had, has had a a big rise in in soccer broadcasting and was broadcasting the world, the world cup final for Fox last year. Um, But also a guy with an incredible personality and in the instances where we saw him in studio, thought it would be great to give him an opportunity to be a studio analyst for us. 
uh, and also excited uh, to give him the opportunity to take on more of a role as kind of a, a second host in Los Angeles. And when we when we chatted about it, we saw eye to eye on you know the, the way that we were going to cover the game and the way that the way that he wanted to what he wanted to to do and the way that he wanted to cover it, and it worked really well. I think with Tim, obviously one of the greatest players in U.S. Men's National Team history, but also had uh, I really liked the experiences uh, that I saw him broadcasting uh, when he was on off weeks when he was with Everton uh, and some of the work that he had done in the past. And another guy that we had dinner with him and it was like, this is somebody that is, is perfect for us. Um, and I know that you guys have, have mentioned that you've enjoyed Tim when he's on set, Karthik in particular, mm-hmm. and uh, excited Tim starting this next match week is going to now be on the show two days a week uh, in the off season. Right. Uh, because now we have, we have a little bit of time with Tim not doing his day job for him to be, <laughs> For him to be able to with us to work with us for a couple of days a week, so we're really excited about that. So we'll we'll have him on board for the rest of the group stage. Um, with with Mo, I feel like Mo is Mo Mo is like when I was watching Stu on uh, ESPN FC a few years ago when he was when he was dealing with injuries and was spending some time trying to figure out what he was going to do. Um, and when I when I saw Mo and then talked with Mo about him really getting the 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 intersection of sport and culture and the kind of stuff that he wanted to talk about while still having a great experience in the game and uh, a, a bright future ahead of him in broadcasting. I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to work with him early on and especially help us grow the game. I think that Mo is, is perfect for that. Really excited about the first few shows that he's done with us and the conversations that we've had about other opportunities on things that we can work with with him. I think he's going to be great for us. Um, and with Steve... Like for for me, we we really wanted to have a an, an angle, a different angle of covering the sport through the eyes of somebody who wasn't just your traditional soccer analyst. Uh, and Steve's been one of the biggest proponents of the game in America uh, ever since I've heard him talking about soccer. He also, if you sit down and talk with him, he knows the game better than the vast majority of analysts that I've seen on TV. So when we sat down and talked with Steve about the way we wanted to cover it and how we saw the opportunity with him to really bring in a new fan base that wouldn't necessarily have watched a pregame show or watched soccer coverage um, and chatted with him about that and just talked to him about how he wants to grow the game in the States, especially amongst a younger demographic uh, and kids and help grow the development of soccer in America, uh, that, that worked out really, really well. And um, I think Steve's been doing a great job uh, a couple months in for us. Really excited about some of the, some more stuff that we can do with him and Stu, especially out from behind the desk. Uh, we shot a really fun segment with them uh, after one of their pickup soccer games yesterday that we're really excited to, to show in the game or in the coverage next week. But that's, uh, that's kind of the philosophy behind who we had. Uh, I also think that this of, of any group of of, of Analysts that I've seen on TV, like Stu and Steve, obviously are very good friends on and off the, on and off the screen. Um, but you can immediately see their chemistry and how well they get along with one another. I think that um, everybody else, like the Atlanta studio, now that we've got a cohesive unit there, you, we've definitely seen improvements week over week with with those guys' comfort level with one another. Uh, and I'm just really excited about getting more shows with them all together and, and the conversation that can come out of it. 
Yeah, most definitely. And actually, you just raised one point that I wanted to just to follow up on. Talking about the intersection between culture and, and soccer or culture and sports, do you think it, in a way, though, too, that there's two separate audiences? There's maybe one audience that's more, more social, social media driven. Um, maybe it's more the kind of into the culture as far as what the athletes are wearing versus, say, I, maybe it's an older or more traditional audience that, that's there just to watch the games. And, and uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so this this is something that I'm I'm very sensitive to, and that I mentioned a little bit earlier, but something that I'm constantly thinking about in the way that we do our show, um, and the way that we've you know create our plan around what we're going to cover each week is we we do it with two audiences in mind, right? And that's that's the audience of people who are turning tuning into the game to watch the game. Uh, either the, t- the team or player that they're fascinated with and really excited about or just to watch it because they love the sport. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that those people are getting what they need. We need to make sure that they're getting the analysis that they need, the news that they need, the, um, the coverage that satisfies them as a soccer fan. And for me, you can do that while also creating content that is interesting to an audience beyond them. So I think that even a diehard soccer fan is going to be interested in learning about Neymar's tattoos and his life story through those tattoos. Or a casual soccer fan is going to be interested in something like the Pep piece that we did um, that I think is one of the most candid uh, interviews I've seen Pep do about a month ago because of the way that it was visually presented and he told interesting stories about what his philosophy was. So there is content that we can create that can cater to both audiences, but I also feel like if you set up our, if we set up our talent to have conversations where they're talking about things that they're passionate about um, and going in depth and talking about uh, a particular play or player or tactics or formations, I think anybody's going to be engaged by somebody who knows what they're talking about doing so in a passionate way. Mm-hmm. So I also think that with something like we're doing with the champions, um, which I know that, that it might not necessarily work with all demographics. I think that it, it is one of the best performing things that we have right now on our social channels, and it's, it's doing really well, and we're getting very positive responses from diehard fans and casual fans alike. But I think that if we create content and a show that appeals to a broad audience and we go deep enough that, our soccer fans who are more traditional or you know excited about our coverage or or like the way the things that we're saying or the way that we're covering things that they will then be a little bit more open to some of the other other content that we're programming uh, or at least that's my hope and that's 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 what I would think is if if we if our audience is happy with what we're doing they will give us more leeway or more of an open mind to, to test out new content or, you know, give us a little bit of, uh, a little bit of an opportunity to try new things for them. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned before too, about, about being a startup, kind of a startup philosophy in a way, do you see you guys, uh, as being trendsetters in terms of the way you're integrating social media with traditional television? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily wouldn't call us trendsetters, but I'd say that we're definitely doing something that's differentiated that's, from anything that's been done before. Um, I think that, and the way, the reason we're doing it is because we don't think that the way that it's been done traditionally lends to growing the game to the extent that we want to. Uh, I think that 
you know, soccer is the biggest participation sport in America for, for kids, right? It's the second biggest sport for a young demographic. Uh, I think it's for, for the, you know, teens and early twenties, but at the same time, the sport's not being presented to them in a way that's best for them to consume it. I think that, you know, kids can't watch TV in the middle of the day, uh, at school, uh, but they can check their Instagram feeds. They can check their Facebook feeds. They can check Twitter and, and see and engage content that way. So it's important for us to deliver the sport to people who are interested to it in, interested in it on whatever platforms we can. And, and one last question, I promise. Uh, and that's about, um, I mean, coming from a Bleacher Report background and knowing Bleacher Report as I do in terms of all the metrics, all the data points, all of the, I mean, the analytics, looking at all, all these different data points from social media, from the web. Do you feel in some ways that uh, with television, uh, the metrics that you get aren't as detailed as you would like? And, and it's maybe sometimes harder to make some actionable decisions based on limited data versus BR Live, which is um, BR as a company which is very data driven yeah yeah i mean obviously you, you, the having a online platform makes it easier for you to make data data driven decisions uh but what i think helps us is the fact that we're creating content that can live in both places so we can look and get a good feel for how the content works well within a tv uh within a tv show setting but then we can also see how it performs on some of our channels and i know that the demographics are going to be a little different for a TV show than they are for our BR football audience or even our BR audience because you know, our BR football audience is, is, is soccer fans. Our BR audience is sports and sports culture fans. Um, so that's not going to give you a true read, but it's relying upon how things perform within the show, uh, how they feel to us as the creators of the show and fans who know the sport, and then how it performs on social and kind of combining all of that to then drive our content decision. Uh, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, so uh, New Fox, as it's now being branded, or at least branded by by the media, uh, is prepared to buy back the U.S. regional networks like uh, Fox Sports LA, Fox Sports Florida, et cetera, Fox Sports Ohio, that uh, are part of the transaction with Disney uh, and ESPN. They're prepared to buy those back from Disney and ESPN. It appears like they will be the high bidder. Very, very confusing, but just... Real uh, clarification, because I actually helped with the, the sport business story on this uh, in terms of research, et cetera. Um, Fox, the new Fox under Rupert Murdoch's son, uh, wants to focus exclusively really on news and sports. And they're dumping entertainment, right? They're dumping that sort of stuff and additional stuff. The, the regional sports networks, if they can be bought back uh, for less than $20 million uh, in value, I think enhance what the new Fox is trying to do. So it looks like also maybe to get some regulatory approval, this, this might happen. So watch this space. Um, that, that covers a lot of MLS teams uh, in terms yeah. of soccer and, uh, and MLS teams, local deals, which are essentially split between the Fox regional networks and the Comcast uh, slash NBC. Now they're all branded NBC, but uh, NBC regional networks. 
Okay, okay, Karthik, moving on uh, in regards to some more news. And this is Major League Soccer. So the headline story is coming out of Sports Business Daily, and it reads, U.S. broadcast viewership for Major League Soccer up 6% this season as MLS matches on Fox proper and ESPN deporters see their strongest viewership yet. Univision also had its most-watched Major League Soccer season also. So yes, while that's true, that's that's great news. Uh, MLS viewership on the Fox network, uh, which televised five games, was up 59% year over year, averaging 988,000 viewers. And uh, Univision saw a 14% growth in total numbers, averaging 287,000 viewers, mar- marking its most watched season to date. So while that's good news, we know that um, the trend is, is that on the Spanish language side, in terms of uh, viewing numbers, whether it's for you know, Premier League or if it's for Major League Soccer, etc., those numbers continue to increase. And, and the Spanish language side is really kind of a growing um, side of the industry, side of the, the, the sports uh, TV ratings. What this uh, headline really kind of masks, though, is that the MLS viewership on Fox, the big Fox, the over-the-air network Fox, really inflates the numbers artificially because what, what the story doesn't tell you is that uh, the viewing numbers on FS1 for Major League Soccer uh, are down, as well as on, e- on ESPN, they're down compared to last year. And the only reason that the numbers actually overall are up 6% is, is because the over-the-air Fox numbers uh, were artificially stimulated or artificially inflated by having those Major League Soccer games uh, on immediately after World Cup matches where soccer fans might be partying, might be having the, having the TV left on, not even watching the game perhaps. So some of them may be watching the game, but really kind of trying to take advantage of that situation, which which there's no problem with that. I think it's a good strategy. Uh, my, my kind of concern with it is that uh, short term it helps the numbers. Long term it's not helping them because if you look at the World Cup numbers, uh, and what that Major League Soccer got, uh, and you know, over a million viewers for some some of the games, you would expect a lot of those fans now to be hooked on Major League Soccer, and that the FS1 numbers would be up. Well, the FS1 numbers are down, so there's an issue there. So people are tuning in, uh, watching the World Cup, and then watching Major League Soccer games, in, inflating the numbers. And that's a great thing to put in a press release that Major League Soccer can, can announce, or they can put in a Sports Business Journal article uh, that makes everything look bright and rosy. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the reality is, is that um, you take those uh, World Cup numbers away uh, from those Fox broadcasts that were the, the Major League Soccer games, and the TV viewing numbers are a completely different story. Kartik, any, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, a year from now when MLS uh, network ratings, ratings on Fox over the air and uh, Univision are down or or stagnant, then that's when the lack of long-term thinking with bolstering this will will come out. Uh, Yeah, I I think um, it it, it was more uh, a propaganda piece than anything else to say, well, these numbers are are up. Uh, Remember, they did the same thing when uh, they attached a match – to a Copa America match in 2016, it was uh, it, it was Seattle and Portland or Seattle and Los Angeles, and I was actually alarmed that the number was so low, given it came after Copa America and it had the teams that were playing. But they at the time MLS PR put out, oh, this is a 30 percent bump or whatever for, for from last year from fixture date last, the previous season. So they're they're uh, they're good at doing this. Um, I think in general there has been a problem 
in drawing viewership for MLS games on FS1. We consistently see ESPN games do better, um, even if they're scheduled alongside MLS, uh, alongside NFL matches, uh, NFL games. So uh, it might be an FS1 problem, and that's something yeah. that uh, uh, is going to have to be figured out in tw- by 2022 when the new uh, contract is up for renewal for, for uh, Soccer United Marketing. Yeah, the, the headlines for me I, from this story, I, I'm worried about our ESPN and FS1 numbers going down, and especially FS1 numbers, which are lower than ESPN numbers. So so there's an issue with the English language side as far as uh, numbers not increasing. And um, part of it is the calendar. I mean, part of it is just the, the scheduling. Um, but still, there's there's enough uh, games played throughout the entire year to, to boost those numbers even when the this time of the year is, is kind of crazy in terms of all the college football and NFL football happening. And MLS is re- and MLS is really um, they're they're in a catch twenty two in a way because I have to say no league on the planet. Then again, I don't. There are a lot of other sports I don't watch, so maybe I should say that. no football league on the planet is as accessible in terms of its ability to cut highlights quickly. And if a goal happens, you see it five minutes later on the internet. Uh, from an official th- uh, channel, not from a, 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 an illegal stream or, or, or streamable or one of those things. Uh, then Major League Soccer. I mean, if, if if you are not watching the match on ESPN and FS1, and you're you're on your on Twitter or you're on uh, the internet, you, you see the goal five minutes later. So, and I realize they have to do that to maintain interest. At the same time, it's a disincentive sometimes for me to watch te- watch the game live because I say, okay, if Portland scores a goal, I'm, I'm going to see it soon enough anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so social social media wise, that's, that's a credit to MLS Digital. They're great. Yeah. That, but yeah. Keep the yeah. MLS Digital is killing it as far as the social media. Absolutely. I mean, that, that whole game. I mean, they, they own that space so, and they do a fantastic job. Um, my concern is about national TV ratings and those numbers decreasing, except for games that are played right after a World Cup. And um, so we'll have to wait and see next year to see what those numbers are like. I mean, they will have the Women's World Cup uh, and the Gold Cup, but it's going to be more challenging to schedule those games. Uh, and you uh, mean the U.S. women's games will definitely draw huge numbers. Uh, I, I but, tell you, it's going to be really difficult also, Chris, because the tournaments are going on at the same time. They might have Women's World Cup matches bumping up right against Gold Cup matches. So they may not, unless yeah. they're trying to do a triple header, uh, or quadruple header or something. So it's it's more challenging the scheduling than this past uh, summer. True. All right, Kartik. So uh, we've got some some news next about uh, La Liga, which will be of interest to uh, to to listeners in the US in terms of what's going on and and the chances of this Barcelona uh, Girona match happening or not. Yeah. So um, Gianni Infantino, I think a lot of people probably caught this already. Um, has uh, opposed La Liga plans formally, saying that uh, following a request of guidance from the Spanish FA, U.S. Soccer, and CONCACAF, which are the governing bodies concerned with this, uh, the council emphasized the sporting principle that the official league matches must be played within the territory of the respective member association. Uh, FIFA statute suggests that they are able to block La Liga's plans. Article 71 says the governing body may take the final decision on the authorization of any international match or competition. Now, Javier Tebas and La Liga dispute this. I was in the room. Uh, Tebas is going to be back in uh, South Florida in a few weeks for Soccer X. So we'll see what he has to say then, although La Liga has taken action uh, more immediately, as, as, as you're alluding to, Chris. Uh, Tebas claims that FIFA has no jurisdiction over this. Um, Infantino saying under uh, Article 71 they do. So we've got a standoff. And now La Liga... Uh, Chris, as I think you're alluding to, has launched a, um, a media campaign as of uh, this week 
yeah. to uh, try and get American fans engaged with the idea of La Liga match on American soil. So uh, uh, this thing is continuing to play out. Uh, this has become very, very dramatic. I think, again, as I think perhaps I said it last week or the previous week, sometime recently on the podcast I mentioned, my belief is that this is not about Hirona and Barcelona. This is about future matches. This is about moving Champions League matches to Miami or New York. This is about uh, the possibility of the Premier League playing matches in China or Australia. This is about uh, closing the Champions League potentially, making it or closing a European Super League. All of those potential principles uh, that could that could uh, use this one match as precedent. I, I think it has to do with that. It has nothing to do with Hirona and Barcelona playing in Miami. And I, I don't right. think any. Uh, the FIFA level really cares about that. They care about if we allow this precedent set. It's just like uh, U.S. law, <laughs> right? Yep. If you set a precedent in, in some sort of legal matter, what what are the consequences down the road? I think that's what's going on here. I agree, but I think it's bigger than that. I think it's all about the NFL. And I, th- I think with NFL getting into into London, uh, soon to have, you mean, a lot more games being played there, but also probably probably soon to have a team in London, that this is really more about global sports viewing. And uh, La Liga making a very, very uh, aggressive push in the United States to start bringing games here and, and competing against the NFL and, and just trying to make sure that they have that global audience. And, and yes, it has a big impact on the Premier League with their uh, efforts to try to get games played in, in the US, although that looks unlikely. It's, it's all about the, the world sports and, and the world's TV viewing audience. Now, the campaign that you mentioned, Kartik, was actually launched this morning, just this morning. So it's called Bring Us the Game or Bring US the Game. And let me just read a little bit from the the email that came through this morning from Relevant Sports. And it says, we have some big news. La Liga, the greatest soccer league in the world, which is debatable depending on how you uh, rate that, is trying to bring a regular season match to America for the first time ever. But we need your help to make this happen. Sign the petition. So that's what they're going for, is to try to get people to sign the petition so they can say, hey, we have you know half a million people have said that we, they want a game in the, in the United States between Barcelona and Girona. You're preventing them from uh, being able to watch this soccer game. Uh, and probably looking at FIFA, looking at USSF at this, or Major League Soccer, saying, hey, we have you know, people that want to watch this game here. The email goes on. It says, um, there's only one problem. Some of the key decision makers are determined to block the match from happening, falsely claiming it's not good for the game in the U.S. So we, the fans, the true stewards of the game, need to fight for this match. Are you in? The more people who sign this petition, the louder a voice we will have and the harder we'll be to ignore. Help us make this happen for the fans and the game. Together we can hashtag bring U.S. the game. And uh, stay tuned, La Liga North America. So really aggressive push here from La Liga and from Relevant Sports to make this happen, to get the petition signed and to really, you mean, really push this in the faces of FIFA, of, of CONCACAF, of U.S. soccer and of Major League Soccer to say this needs to happen. Whether well, or not, talk- yeah, oh, whether it'll happen or not, we'll have to wait and see. I, I'm not going to predict this one, but it is very, very interesting. Let me just uh, mention the politics real quickly of this in Infantino's position. Infantino, even though he was the president of UEFA, uh, has essentially lost a lot of support within US, UEFA in the last uh, 
uh, three and a half years. Uh, the Club World Cup proposal being the final straw for a lot of uh, uh, UEFA member federations, the more uh, the more prominent federations, the Germany, the Spain, uh, the, the the England, the, the um, Netherlands, just you know more FIFA, more international dates. And we saw how that went last week. We talked about that on the podcast last week. Infantino's going to get reelected probably because of the support of Asia, because of the support of Africa, because of potentially the support of CONCACAF. So, um, and certainly the support he has from the U.S., who um, are big supporters of him. So his political play is to do what these federations want, which is a fear of La Liga or the Premier League and Serie A, whoever, but La Liga now uh, putting matches in their countries and undercutting uh, or in theory, undercutting their domestic league. So that that is the political play for Infantino. He's not going to back off on this. Now, whether he actually has the authority to do this, uh, which has been questioned, um, we'll see. Or whether there's just a, a groundswell of support to where they have to back down. The campaign, we'll see. But there's a lot of politics involved in the FIFA presidential re-election for Infantino, which comes next year, by the way, 2019. Yeah, I can see this one actually. If I had to make a prediction, I can see this going to going into the courts because uh, I mean FIFA believes that uh, according to the FIFA statutes that uh, they will be able to block this game. That Article seventy one says that the governing body uh, may take the final decision on the authorization of any international match or competition. La Liga probably has some some claims on their uh, their part that they can say, hey, well, th- there's been precedent set before with games being played overseas, uh, whether it's um, cup games such as uh, the Supercopa, uh, Espana, or some other games being played overseas. So he, there's been precedent set, and why can't this game be played in Miami? This is really, really a, an interesting story and, and one to watch. This is going to be a, a fascinating to, one to keep an eye on. Last but not least, Kartik on the TV streaming news. And that is uh, in this past uh, quarter, the third quarter in the United States, DirecTV has lost 359,000 uh, subscribers. And during that same quarter, DirecTV now uh, only added 49,000 subscribers uh, in that same time span, uh, which is way, way below what they were doing a year ago. Uh, part, part of me wonders to a certain extent or to what degree maybe DirecTV and DirecTV Now uh, could be losing subscribers due to losing being sports, losing La Liga, losing Ligue 1. Um, I'm sure that's a percentage of that. How, what, how much of a percentage, I do not know. But uh, still interesting times with uh, DirecTV losing subscribers and DirecTV Now seeming, seemingly uh, plateauing. Now, TV- Yeah. Uh, go, go Chris, ahead. Real quickly, I, I know of one or two people who canceled DirecTV or, or Comcast. Uh, not one or two, more than that, just because uh, BN's not offered anymore. Uh, because they, they had the channel for La Liga. Uh, they, they know they can get NBC and get the uh, Premier League matches via Fubo. So they just switched to Fubo or Slain and uh, cut the cord. And it is specifically because of BN. So um, while, again, we're, we, we don't have a large sample size and we just talk to soccer fans. There is some of that going on, for sure. Yeah, I, actually, I, I do want to mention one more thing, and that, and that is when I was watching the Athletic uh, Real Sociedad game, I think it was on Saturday, I think it was, um, it was fascinating to watch it because uh, during the broadcast, Phil Shane, probably about 20 times during that, bro- that, that entire 90-minute game, 
said uh, read from a script and said, "Hey, if you're a DirecTV subscriber or a Comcast subscriber, and you're watching this game over at a friend's house, now's the time to switch. Go ahead and sign up for Fubo or Dish or Sling TV to be able to, to make sure that you can watch El Clasico and all of La Liga." So the likelihood, and we've said this in the past before, but the likelihood of Comcast and being sports reaching a deal is practically zero. The likelihood now of DirecTV reaching a deal with uh, being sports looks unlikely, especially with uh, being sports ma- making such an aggressive push uh, for these um, for people to switch to Dish. So, um, so it's not good if you're a DirecTV subscriber, which is a shame too, because DirecTV, historically speaking, Kartik, you know this better than anyone, has always had the best soccer coverage, has always had the most soccer coverage, and here we go, losing being sports or dropping being sports. It's it's a big it's a big black hole that they're missing. Once upon a time, before Bleacher Report Live existed, before Fox began really utilizing their Champions League and Europa League rights. Uh, DirecTV had exclusive uh, matches that they would uh, give for free. Well, or, you know, not free, but if you had the right package, uh, they would stream on uh, additional channels for Europa League and, and Champions League. I got every match for several years because I had DirecTV. Um, they were that committed to soccer uh, 10 years ago or so, uh, 8 to 10 years ago. But now um, I, it, it's, it's a different era. They're owned by AT&T now, which they weren't at the time, and uh, they're making some different decisions. All right, so let's move on to TV ratings. So we talked about in the news segment about how Major League Soccer numbers uh, for the regular season were up 6% uh, across the entire board, um, and most of that was pumped up by, by Fox World Cup matches, uh, Major, Major League Soccer matches after the World Cup. Well, here's an example of something that's a, a good example of uh, FS1 and really disappointing MLS numbers, and that is the, the Decision Day broadcast. The only game out of all of them that was on television was Sporting KC against LAFC. This was on FS1, and the viewing number for that game was so low that it didn't even register in the top 150 games uh, programs on Sunday on television. So uh, we have no idea what that number is. Uh, if we had a guess, it's probably less than 100,000 people that watched that game. So um, uh, it, it, that's really disappointing. And, and unfortunately for MLS, they've done decision day for competitive purposes and then tried to brand it. Uh, they're doing what other football leagues in the world do, which is simultaneous kickoffs, uh, which I like. But it's unfortunately making programming decisions difficult because what's happening is that do you show the best teams? Do you show Atlanta or the Red Bulls? Or do you show the game that's going to impact who makes the, the playoffs, which then would be uh, involving some very mediocre team because 12 teams make the playoffs. They may, uh, This time they went for kind of uh, a, a strange solution, which was sporting and LAFC, two teams fighting for uh, top seed in the Western Conference, uh, if that's what you would look at, or, or seeding in the Western Conference, and it just didn't, didn't pay off. So yeah. the programming decision becomes tough because they can only show one game in that window while – there were, what, 12 simultaneous kickoffs uh, or 11 simultaneous kickoffs. And they uh, maybe they picked the wrong game or maybe just there's not much left to play for. I mean, there was very little on the line on decision day, right? I mean, I guess the ultimate question was whether the Red Bulls or Atlanta won the uh, Supporters' Shield and whether LA Galaxy or Real Salt Lake made the playoffs. And that was it. There wasn't much else. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is one of those examples where, like, a whip around show would, would have been good. Um, it's it's costs it's more expensive uh, to actually do uh, to pull off, but um, that would have been something where they could have gone to 
uh, the LA Galaxy match and see kind of just all the fans, oh, the, the players uh, on the floor, uh, just. Uh, you mean uh, in disbelief that they, they didn't make it through or go into some of these other games where you mean the Atlanta game uh, for example and just how they fell apart and back and forth um I think I think that that probably would have had a higher great a greater viewing number yeah there was a lot of drama there was definitely drama yeah. but it just didn't show exactly uh some of the other numbers so, so El Clasico we don't have the Spanish language number yet for uh, being sports and Espanol um, but we do have the English language viewing number, and that one was 181,000 people tuned in on Sunday from 11.15 a.m. to uh, 1.15 Eastern Time. Um, usually, being sports en Espanol is usually about uh, two to three times uh, bigger number than the English language side, so we're roughly speaking, probably, if I, if I had to uh, guesstimate based on experience is probably about 450,000 viewers so maybe 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 450 475 uh, for the game which is far far below um, previous years where we've had 1.5 million I think it was one year and 1 million a- another year uh, this is way way down for La Liga uh, some of the other numbers that came through we've um, there's a whole ton of numbers so we won't go into detail about every single one of them uh, we will have the full list at worldsoccertalk.com some of the uh, Champions League numbers the Barcelona intergame from a, a couple of weeks ago on TNT had 216,000 viewers uh, PSV against Spurs 138,000 viewers uh, Ike Athens against uh, Bayern Munich on TNT 138,000 viewers also so some low numbers there uh, uh, Milan against Sampdoria on ESPN on Sunday. Uh, this is one from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern, 122,000 viewers. So, so for Serie A, the numbers are much greater than they were last year on being sports, um, but they're not going through the roof. And uh, the Champions League numbers are, I don't know, to, to me, pretty flat. But we'll have to wait and see what, uh, what the next numbers are like. All right, so let's move on to list of mailbag. Uh, first up is Alexander. And Alexander says, I also noticed an improvement for the TNT coverage. One thing that could improve the coverage would be to exclusively have uh, Stu Holden and Steve Nash for the halftime show. The main studio could join in for pre- and post-game. With only two commentators for discussion, they would have more time for in-depth discussion as well as for the many commercials. I do wish TNT would show more, uh, would show some of the Europa League games. Some of them are quite entertaining. In a future podcast, um, can you guys make comments about the new DAZN streaming service and your thoughts on it? What are your thoughts on the Asian leagues? I also noticed that ESPN Plus added the Indian Super League. Personally, I hope that AFC players uh, develop more to make the World Cup more interesting. Europe and South America have a monopoly on World Cup wins, and it would be nice to see other regions become more dominant. So a lot to cover there. Kartik, any any thoughts on any of uh, Alexander's comments? Uh, I think uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see if... uh, there's more interest developing in Asian football or in Asian leagues in the United States. Historically, there haven't been. A one World Sports for a while had uh, uh, multiple Asian leagues. It didn't really uh, work out for them. Uh, same thing in terms of the A-League, uh, on and off the Fox uh, channels for, for a number of years. The A-League in Australia uh, hasn't really uh, panned out. Now, the zone is uh, giving a superior product and spending a lot of money. So let's see what happens there. With that, um, in terms of uh, um, the suggestion for TNT, I kind of like it because I think in general, Holden and, and Nash 
through the three weeks now of Champions League or three weeks of, of group stage Champions League have been uh, have been more solid than the Atlanta studio. But we saw some improvements from the Atlanta studio uh, this past week. And with Tim Howard there, it's totally different. So um, I, I kind of like that suggestion, but um, uh, let's see what they do in match days uh, four, five, and six. So Country Before Party says, uh, regarding last week's MLS ratings and ESPN and FS1, all Eastern Conference games were at three and Western Conference games at five. I would have watched Atlanta against Chicago, but I was watching DC United book their playoff ticket. Uh, Not an excuse, just a factor. Uh, JP says uh, ESPN's coverage of the of Major League Soccer has been nothing short of disastrous. Uh, Univision has been Major League Soccer's only true, re- real true network partner over the last three seasons. Time to consider other options once the con- contract is done. Anthony Bello says, Hi guys, I would like to bring up a few, few things uh, in the pod. First, on Kartik's comments on MLS TV ratings, uh, why doesn't anybody... Why does anybody have to be a soccer fan or a football fan? Why can't I be a fan of both sports? We have a lot of sports in this country. They conflict, and you don't know how many games I have missed because games and other sports were at the same time. So why doesn't Major League Soccer just match the European calendar? It would be better for the league on the pitch and with the TV numbers. Not much is going on in April. Major League Soccer playoff games would get a lot more viewers going up against earlier season baseball games and early round NBA and NHL uh, playoff uh, games uh, than NFL games. I also want to disagree with Reed Hastings. I don't believe New Fox and Netflix are going to be the winners of, in the future of the TV. Uh, the winners are going to be the companies that combine uh, live programming with on-demand content. Keep your eye on the new Disney streaming service. If they combine all of their on-demand movies and TV shows with ESPN, that could be a winning combination. Also, Amazon could be a player. They seem like they have started to go after live programming to go with all the shows they have. I believe the consumer will be willing, would, would be more willing to buy live and on-demand programming in one package. Thanks. And a uh, lot to cover there, Kartik. Uh, for me personally, I have no issue with uh, somebody being a fan of soccer and being a fan of, a, of another sport. Um, I think the discussion is last week is about MLS TV ratings and uh, when, when those games are scheduled at the same time as NFL games, for a lot of families, it's a tough decision because historically speaking, they, they might have been you mean, brought up as a, as a Packers fan and their whole family is uh, NFL fans and now there's a Major League Soccer game on at the same time and all the family are saying, okay, hey, let's put the Packers game on and somebody's saying, like, hey, I want to watch the Chicago Fire game. Uh, it's it's not going to sit well, but um, but it, to me, it's it, it, a lot of it goes back to calendar. A lot of it goes back to scheduling, and it just doesn't make any sense that Major League Soccer still year after year after year goes through the same cycle, scheduling games right up right up against NFL games or right at the same time as NFL games. It just just makes no sense at all. Yeah, and, and actually my comment last week, I was reacting to one particular Philly Union fan who had written to John Tannenwald that he wasn't going to watch uh, the Union because they were playing at the same time as the Eagles. And I thought if you're really committed to, to MLS and to soccer, uh, you wouldn't sacrifice this one Eagles game. But I, I see it both ways, right? And uh, I think Anthony's suggestion well, – first, ba- first off, going back to the previous comment about uh, ESPN being a bad partner for uh, MLS, I think – 
what happened is the first year of this television deal, they tried very hard to have a permanent window on a Sunday. And as it got later in the season, that did not work from a ratings perspective. So now um, they are trying to squeeze it uh, among other programming that gets better ratings and has more viewership and more interest. So it, it, it was a conscious decision by ESPN that they had to abandon the permanent window because it just wasn't performing at the level uh, it should. Now, back to Anthony's point, uh, shifting the calendar, I'm a strong proponent of this. I think it's uh, along with promotion relegation and solidarity payments slash uh, training compensation May, uh, the most important thing we can do to reform the sport of this country, maybe the most important thing, more important than those other two, two factors I mentioned. Uh, it's not just about television. It's about competitiveness. It's about lining up transfer windows. It is also about player development. Our players in the United States are not developing as quickly as we want them to because they're playing in the hottest months of the year once they turn professional or even when in their, in their uh, semi-pro amateur seasons. They're playing through the hottest months. It is much, much easier to play, play and train when it is not as hot, when there aren't heat warnings, when there isn't um, these sorts of issues that create uh, uh, trainings to be canceled. That happens all the time with these leagues in the summer. Don't kid yourself. A lot of fans don't know that, that a lot of times teams aren't able to train because they're thunderstorms or it's too darn hot. Uh, they're training at odd hours, and that affects player development. They're not getting the re- repetitions. And I would say I know cold weather is an issue. You can build around that with a winter break. Uh, and work around it with scheduling. And heat-related deaths are, are far higher in this country, in the United States, every year than deaths related to, to uh, cold weather. Just uh, that, again, people don't seem to want to know that. There are statistics. Uh, there's empirical data about that. But people who are against the, even having this discussion don't want to talk about that. So, Anthony, yeah, I'm in agreement. I think the, 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 the single biggest thing we can do is shift the calendar. Uh, but people don't want to talk about that at the highest levels for what, whatever yeah. reason, even though I think – it's a very practical solution to a lot of our problems. Yeah, and, and Major League Soccer still seems to be very focused on the priorities. The priorities are expansion teams and sponsorships, and everything else seems to, to kind of fall by the wayside. Um, they really haven't made any really big changes in, in recent years, and this is one that should be top of the list. This should be something that they've already uh, addressed and, and, and figured out and have a plan for. Uh, it doesn't seem that, that that's happening. Last question is from Nuke, and Nuke says, uh, does Sancho's rise at uh, Borussia Dortmund mean that uh, Pulisic... Uh, Pulisic uh, read this one again. Does Sancho's rise mean that uh, Pulisic's move in the summer uh, might be on or off? Um, uh, who do you think is likely to go after Pulisic? Um, I think Sancho's rise, him being an English player, now a full uh, English international, having gotten a senior cap in the last international break and having come through Manchester City's academy means he's more likely to move uh, to the Premier League, whether it's back to City or it's the Man United or or Liverpool or somebody. Uh, as far as Pulisic is concerned, I, I like the I like the look that I've seen from Dortmund when Pulisic and Sancho play together and uh, uh, bringing in Axel Witzel uh, in the summer has really solidified their midfield and giving um, a, a really more running room and space for both those those young players. And then up front, obviously, uh, we've talked about Alcazar and, and what he's done since coming in from La Liga over the summer. But uh, I think it probably means Sancho is more likely to move and Pulisic is, is more likely to stay at this point. Uh, speaking at the beginning of November, uh, maybe I'll have a different opinion in March, but I, I actually think it may solidify Pulisic 
with Dortmund for a few more years, which is probably a good thing for his development. I'd be very nervous from a U.S. perspective about him going into the Premier League uh, and perhaps have uh, Kagawa, Shaheen, and others when they other Dortmund, they've left uh, uh, Dortmund at, maybe at the wrong time in their career. So uh, we'll see. But I think Sancho's rise is, means Sancho is more likely to move because he is English and it's easier to get him into the league, particularly after uh, Brexit when they're going to have to sign presumably more English players and less EU players. Speaking of the Bundesliga and Dortmund, uh, the biggest game of the season in the Bundesliga is coming up on November 10th, which is uh, the Dortmund against uh, Bayern Munich game. Unfortunately, it's uh, same old, same old. It's uh, Fox's schedule and college football getting in the way. So this game, the, the biggest game, Dortmund against Bayern Munich, is going to be on FS2. Now, over the next couple of weeks, I think, I think uh, Friday's game in the Bundesliga is going to be on Fox Soccer Plus. And for the next couple of weeks, most of the game is going to be on FS2 and very few on FS1. And here's an example, again, of a massive match for the Bundesliga on FS2. Why they can't switch it to FX or FXX like they've done in the past, I do not know. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, so, they're in the process of selling those channels to Disney, as we know. But, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, this is really not a very acceptable situation. I, I actually already went on my program guide to try and uh, DVR the Friday Bundesliga match this week. And as you mentioned, Chris, it's not on FS1 or FS2, yep. uh, which was very, very, very disappointing to find. And uh, I, I've watched more and more of that Friday Bundesliga game of Freiburg this past week. Um, mm-hmm. I... Uh, I think that that's a, a real missed opportunity for Fox because that is the one programming slot they have for the Bundesliga where it doesn't go up against the Premier League. Yeah. You're going up against the championship. You're going up against Liga, or sometimes you're going up against La Liga. Um, and uh, it's, it it's the game. Opportunity. It's the game that probably has the best chance of being like, like a gateway drug to, to pull yeah. you in to get viewers in. You mean if Friday, if, if people are getting off work early, or uh, you mean from school, maybe you don't have any classes that day to hook them in on that game and get them watching the Bundesliga more and more uh, during the weekend. And um, yeah, it's just definitely a missed opportunity there. So, so listeners, you can always uh, reach us through email at um, web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as on Facebook facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can always post comments on worldsoccertalk.com we'd love to get your feedback we'd love to read it out on air whether it's your rants, raves, questions um, asking for advice or disagreeing with anything we've said we'd love to get your feedback there so in closing, thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, heading into another busy weekend of uh, club soccer uh, from around the world, uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 